Well, it's been an interesting last few weeks, I got to say, in the pro, and I want to stress that, pro video world, smartphone video world, if you will. Yeah, I'm talking about the iPhone Pro, Pro Max. I'm talking about Filmic Pro, and of course, ProRes. Hey guys, Blake Calhoun, and another episode of Almost Professional, the podcast about mobile filmmaking, DIY filmmaking, indie filmmaking, really all things filmmaking. And yeah, we often use the word pro or professional. I use it in the name of this podcast, Almost Professional. And you don't always equate that with smartphones. I mean, yeah, professionals use smartphones and they have for a long time but they don't live up to the actual professional name normally or typically speaking. So do they now with the iPhone Pro Max? In my opinion, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they really do. And it's actually better than a lot of people think and better than a lot of people give it credit for. And I don't know why that is, whether, you know, People are afraid to say your phone can shoot as good a video as a much more expensive camera. Or if they're afraid that, I don't know, you know, your mom has the equivalent camera as you do and you're a professional filmmaker. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't roll your eyes. I'm not talking about, you know, high-end cameras. I'm not talking about red cameras or black magic cameras or high-end Canon cameras, etc. But I am talking about a camera you carry in your pocket that your mom could use and can shoot video that is extremely similar, almost so similar that you can't tell them apart without pixel peeping or without being a professional to notice the over sharpening the iPhone still does, or the depth of field differences. Obviously, larger traditional cameras with larger sensors will have more shallow depth of field, you know, typically speaking, depending on what you're shooting and how you're shooting. But no, the iPhone Pro Max, that's the one I have, the 13 Pro Max has really, man, I don't want to overhype it here, but it's gone above and beyond my expectations. I mean, is it perfect? No, there's no perfect camera, period. But again, considering you carry this in your pocket and it fits in the palm of your hand and you can now shoot ProRes HQ, you've got an F1.5 wide aperture main camera, main lens. You've got a F1.8 ultra wide and now a 77 millimeter Tele that's 2.8. Now the Tele does suffer in low light, which is unfortunate, especially compared to the 12 Pro Max, but that extra telephoto range has really come in handy, I find. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but but man, I really think the name Pro, iPhone Pro, Filmic Pro is starting to live up to the name Pro, professional. I really do. I mentioned that in a video I did recently as well. And if you haven't seen those videos, definitely check those out. I did one on the ProRes launch on Filmic Pro. 
I did one on some tips I've learned along the way shooting Filmic Pro. And I just did one on comparing Filmic Pro ProRes and the iPhone to the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 4K. Those cameras line up really nicely. Are there differences? Of course. <laughs> but using the iPhone as a B camera, and that's kind of what my premise was, especially if you're a one-man band shooter, you're doing interviews, you, you're doing whatever. It could be a documentary. It could be news, although you probably wouldn't be using a Blackmagic camera in news. But regardless, corporate video, again, documentary, whatever, you set up your Blackmagic as your main camera, and you put up your iPhone right next to it as a wide, and you're shooting two cameras, and you can make them match surprisingly well in post, surprisingly well. And then, of course, you could use the iPhone very easily as your A camera. Now, that'll end up being subjective, and depending on what you're doing, right now it probably still is more people in the indie film world or the YouTube world or the mobile journalist world. They do it quite a bit. And so larger scale productions, no, there's really no reason to do it on those. It's great to have the flexibility of the small phone that you can use as an insert shot. Maybe have an actor, you know, being in a car and you need a cutaway of something in the car and you just have him holding the camera, almost like you would a GoPro in the past or some other type action camera. But now that this shoots ProRes, you can absolutely cut that in with higher end cameras. I mean, I've done this for a long time and you could do it before ProRes, but now it just makes it that much more professional and it fits in the workflow better. And of course the quality is better. I mean, ProRes HQ on your phone is shooting at like 700-ish, 750 megabits per second. As a comparison, the normal iPhone video shoots at about 25 megabits per second. And uh, Filmic Pro, Filmic Extreme, the highest bitrate they offer before ProRes, which was HEVC, was about 130-ish, 150 megabits per second. Now, not to get too engineering or too geeky here, but the higher the bitrate, typically speaking, the better the video quality. You'll have less noise, you'll have better resolution. Uh, when I say resolution, I mean resolving fine detail, fine images. The resolution is obviously 4K, but ProRes absolutely does resolve fine detail better than compressed MPEG-4 or MPEG-5 HEVC. So the question begs then, who should be using ProRes? I guess that is one question I get a lot. It's obviously not for everyone, not at all. It's actually probably when it comes to the iPhone, it's fairly niche, which makes me surprised that Apple actually added it. The iPhone is obviously a mass, mass, mass consumer product. 99% of the people using an iPhone will never touch ProRes. But for the 1% of us, and I'm making these numbers up, but I bet it's that low, it could be lower, that utilize that feature, it's awesome. Right now it's only available in Filmic Pro at the time of this recording, although the beta iOS 15 something, I don't know which, I don't know which number it is, the ProRes HQ HDR version in the native app is out, it's in beta, so you're not seeing it widely, but that's coming. And it's only HQ at the moment. And if I understand it correctly, it's because 
on Macs, you can only really encode HDR into ProRes HQ. I don't think that's 100% right, although I've seen some people say that because I'm testing something from Filmic Pro that I may or may not be able to talk about that actually disproves that. And so depending on when you're listening to this, that may be out and you'll understand what I'm talking about, but you probably get the idea of what I'm saying. It's not top secret or anything necessarily. You know more updates are coming. And so that is something to watch pretty closely. However, as a filmmaker right now, I don't utilize HDR. And that's kind of my larger point with the ProRes HQ on the native camera app. HDR workflows are cumbersome and they don't really work on every app and they definitely don't work properly necessarily on YouTube or Vimeo. I've tried it. You can get it to work, but it's real hit or miss. There's so many different flavors. There's Dolby Vision, then there's HLG 2100. There's Rec 709, which is SDR. Sorry, I'm getting into the weeds here. And then there's Rec 2020. And then there's HDR 10. There's just a lot of different flavors. There's PQ and there's regular HLG. A lot of this has to do with HDR metadata, the way it's displayed on your monitor. Not necessarily the way it's captured, although that plays a role, of course. And it's confusing. It's confusing to me and I do this for a living. Again, I don't do much HDR workflow type stuff. Whenever I shoot HDR, for example, Dolby Vision in the native iPhone app, I edit in SDR, which really is cool because when you edit that in an SDR timeline, meaning Rec. 709, at least in Premiere Pro, and I think it works this way in most other apps, it just strips away the HDR metadata. So you're working with an HLG file that doesn't have the bright colors and bright contrast and bright brightness, which I like better, by the way. And so you're essentially editing with a flat or a quasi log file that you've shot using the native camera app. And the same thing within Filmic Pro. So you could shoot HDR and not edit in HDR. And that's actually what I do, typically speaking. HDR looks cool, looks great. I don't think it looks as cinematic, at least the varieties on the, the phone. They look over, I don't know what the right word is. They're too bright, too saturated, too sharp, too contrasty. The opposite of what you would do in filmmaking, for sure. Looks more like something you might do for sports or news, and that's probably a good application for it. But regardless, it's great to have these options, that's for sure, again, in the palm of your hand. And so I'm pumped to see what happens with the native app, and then, of course, to see where Filmic Pro goes. And one thing that I really hope, and I... I think it's a strong possibility. I have no confirmation of this at all. But to have 10-bit log will be really cool. I shoot everything in log the best I can, or at least flat. I like having better highlight roll-off. I don't like having a hard, baked-in, contrasty look that's over-sharpened. Again, iPhone already over-sharpens things. So when you shoot log, I found, using Filmic Pro, it softens the image some. Um, in a good way. It just looks a lot more pleasing to the eye. Again, more cinematic. Everything I do is really in that direction. I make movies. I obviously make YouTube videos. And even doing commercials or music videos or whatever, narrative style filmmaking, I prefer a more quote unquote cinematic look, which typically means shooting 24p. It means 
not having overexposed highlights. That's kind of a generalized statement, but really it's the roll off in the image. One reason the Area Alexa is so popular, the roll off is very filmic, meaning how it goes from bright, bright to the next level down to darker colors. It doesn't clip, so to speak. And that's usually a telltale sign of low end video, smartphone video. And so log or flat really helps with that versus a baked in Rec. 709 look which is what ProRes currently is on both the iPhone native camera app, which is still in beta, and Filmic Pro. Now again, that will change very soon, I think. One thing I'm planning to do is a couple comparison videos between shooting Filmic Pro Log and ProRes and showing how you can grade it or not grade it, how you can bend it around in post-production. I've done a little bit of testing so far with ProRes and it, is pretty malleable, but the main thing is the shadows are, you know, pretty crunchy right out of the camera. So you start bringing those up, looking in the shadows, you'll get video noise. And then the clipping of the highlights is just like regular iPhone footage I'm finding. Now, Log V3, Filmic Pro Log V3 is not. Those highlights have a nice roll off to them. And in particular, you know, for a small phone sensor. Surprisingly good, actually. And so shooting ProRes, of course, this is shooting any iPhone video, but ProRes in particular, and I would say with the native camera app as well, shooting regular ATBC, protecting your highlights is still the most important thing, in particular on skin tone. You can't pull those back, and my goodness, they look bad. So log is really beneficial that way, not to mention just getting more dynamic range out of the image and post. That's obviously one of the main reasons you shoot log. But also, of course, it just grades nicely. And that's, that's the overall idea behind shooting log, or one of the reasons. Now, beyond ProRes, which for me is one of the biggest things that happened with this new device and with Apple and the new iOS and Filmic Pro, et cetera, the camera system on the phone is so much improved. It's, it's really, again, I think it's kind of underreported. It's a lot better, even than the 12 Pro Max, which was leaps and bounds better than the 11 Pro Max. The tele lens has the longer throw, which is great. The ultra wide is so much better, so much more improved. And then the main camera, not only is it a bigger sensor, a faster aperture, it's just more stable and it's just all around better. And you're getting better images, better in low light. And the 12 Pro Max was so much better in low light than the 11. So 13 Pro Max, I mean, it's starting to get in the realm where I'm not afraid to shoot with that in low light. And that was always shooting in low light and dynamic tone mapping were the two biggest hurdles with shooting in the last few years anyway, shooting with phones. I say the last few years because dynamic tone mapping is a relatively, in quotes, new phenomenon. I did a video about that recently. It's where the iPhone actually shifts the dynamic range, the exposure, in quotes, even when the settings are locked. And it's terrible, it's awful for professional video. If you're shooting auto, it's fine. It's great for still photos. It's horrible for motion video, for moving shots, because you'll get blooms, like you're adjusting the exposure or adjusting, even the white balance shifts a little bit, I'm finding on the ultra wide lens. The wide lens though does the best. And the way you avoid that is don't shoot in lower light or higher contrast scenes with something moving across the frame moving across the image. And that's whether it's something, the object or the subject moving across, or you pan the camera. 
or tilt the camera because you'll see the little shifts and it just, you know, Apple's added ProRes to their, to their device, but then, which is very professional, obviously it's as pro as it gets on their side. That's one of the best codecs there is besides raw and that kind of thing, but that's a different topic. But then you can't shoot truly professional content because of that. That is messed up so many shots over the years. And I really first started noticing it with the iPhone 8 Plus. Now the rumors are Apple is finally taking notice of this because of all the complaints, I think. And hopefully in the iPhone 14, or maybe they can fix it through an iOS update that they are aware of it and actually looking into it. It's getting so close to where I can use my phone as an everyday camera in professional work. Now, again, I know people do that. Whenever I say that, I'm not discounting other people, again, like the Mojo crowd, mobile journalists that do it all the time, YouTubers as well. But for me, working in more of a professional cinematography realm or movie making realm, I still use traditional cameras more. My iPhone is usually a B camera on those shoots or behind the scenes camera. Although again, uh, of course, I've made full on movie short films with my phone. I'm shooting on my phone right now actually for this video and I'm using cinematic mode, which I really think is fun and cool. And I say it's fun because it's not ready for prime time yet. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably see the depth of field map around me. It's a nice shallow depth of field look and I'm wearing a hat. And so right now when you have smooth edges, it works pretty well. If you have anything that is frizzy, so to speak, like hair or fine detail around the edges, it doesn't work well. And we kind of all knew that was going to be the case because that's the case with portrait uh, photography as well. But I've got to say, it's really pretty good. And in particular for a first generation uh, product, it's got issues for sure that I hope they will fix. And I'm sure they will. And not only with the the depth map, the, the LiDAR, it's not perfect, but it's pretty good, especially again for a first gen. And then the idea that it will rack focus is pretty amazing. That's not a problem. That's actually really cool. The problems are number one, it's only 1080, which isn't a huge deal. Cause I think doing this for social media is probably the best thing right now. A bigger issue is it's only 30 P it needs to be 24 P they call it cinematic mode and 30 P is not cinematic Apple. It's just not. 24p is cinematic around the world. You can debate that all day long, but the facts are the facts. Movies are shot 24p. You know, there's been a few movies shot 48, like The Hobbit or a couple other movies. There was a Will Smith movie by Ang Lee that was shot, I think, at like 120 frames per second or something. But anyway, they look like video movies. And so that's not really even a debate. And if you're in Europe, sure, you can shoot 25, but even people in Europe, they shoot 24p when they do movies. Shoot 25 for their regular video, their broadcast video. So anyway, 24p would be important. And then this is an overall issue with the native camera app. And when I hear other filmmakers say they prefer the native app, I can't figure it out. I like it for my family videos and just everyday kind of videos. But otherwise, I don't get it while they like it for video. And yeah, I'm talking about video. Stills is different. In video, you can lock the settings, but you can't independently lock them. So in other words, you can lock the focus, but then you can't change the white balance because it locks at the same time. Or if you wanted to, for example, set the shutter, you can't do that. You can control it with ND filters on the front, but it's auto. 
And so it's super limited in that fashion. And again, for professional work, you got to use Filmic Pro or a third-party app that you can manually control things. ProTake, Mavis, the Moment app, whatever you prefer. I mean, if you follow me, you know I like Filmic Pro, of course. So we need manual control or at least more manual control maybe. And then 24P and then 4K would be great too. You have a lot of control using the app in post where you can change the focus point and you can actually change the rack focus. That is really cool. And again, kind of surprising on a first gen product. I didn't think they would add all that ability in the first go around. I didn't. So I'm very impressed in that respect. But it is not pro. It's very cool and one day might be pro. One day we may all be shooting with computational imaging like that where you adjust the focus in post. I mean, who knows? You know, red cameras, Alexas, the big boy cameras, they're basically computers these days with a lens put on the front. So the idea that you could, you know, connect the LiDAR sensor there and do depth map and adjust the focus in post is absolutely a reality there one day too. Will people want to do that? Probably not, at least not this generation, maybe next generation. Things like that are slow to change. It also eliminates jobs, which is can be you know tricky in Hollywood, focus pullers, et cetera. Although autofocus, I think, is becoming more of a reality. Not on big shoots, although I assume they do incorporate that occasionally, especially for action sequences. But that eliminates a job again. And you know, a lot of those guys are more old school too. But who knows what the future holds? I think this is a preview or a glimpse into what other cameras will be doing, even high-end cameras. So to wrap things up here, the iPhone Pro is really a pro device now. It really is. Is it perfect? No, not at all. Is it really, really, really good? Almost great? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's better than it really has any right to be. Shooting ProRes video with these type of apertures is, I mean, kind of a dream come true. It's not something I actually thought would become reality. I'm so happy that Apple actually unleashed it, so to speak. They could have done this a long time ago, or maybe they were waiting for the hardware to catch up. I don't know. I'm not an engineer, as I often say, but from a filmmaking perspective, I'm very glad that they are continuing to embrace the pro market. A lot of people give Apple you know, a lot of crap for their marketing in particular, calling it a pro phone and getting these Hollywood you know, filmmakers to demo their their gear because they say that Hollywood would never actually do that and never use it. And that's true to an extent, but it probably won't be true forever. And of course, Apple is selling the dream. And that's, you know, uh, obviously a big way to market products. They're selling the idea that you can use this phone to make a movie and you can. You've been able to do that a long time, but now you can do that and make it look even better. Make it look almost professional. Exciting things going on for sure in the mobile filmmaking, mobile video world. Uh, I, I'm more excited about this stuff right now than I am any traditional cameras. Those have almost gotten boring and they're so good they're boring. That's a good problem to have, but they just haven't really revolutionized themselves recently. They did, you know, seven, eight years ago, 
In the last few years, they've gotten so good, again, they're almost boring. We'll see if computational imaging comes to those or they add more uh, phone-type features into their cameras, and I think they will. And speaking of all these new features, I will be adding these to my courses, and I've been slowly incorporating them, and that's mainly the ProRes stuff, the different compatibility with accessories, and I mean, that's the bad thing, of course. You get these new devices, and then your old stuff doesn't work. Talking about your beast cages, your various lenses, your ND. Well, your ND filters work, but your mounts don't work. Your Polar Pro case, all that. I'll be doing some YouTube videos about this too, but again, I'll be incorporating a lot of this into my smartphone cinematography course and my Filmic Pro course. So if you're interested in those, definitely check them out on my website, iphoneographers.tv. Oh, and one other quick note, I am considering creating a series of podcasts as part of this podcast. I wanna look at bigger films and even indie films and see how you could incorporate some of the things they do, specifically you know, shot design or even production design into even smaller micro-budget films. And so I'm gonna analyze those with some other filmmakers in the future and maybe make those a segment in my podcast, maybe standalone podcast, I'm not 100% sure yet. But I wanna expand the idea of this podcast or the, the offerings that are encompassed more than just the technical side. You know, I wanna talk about the creative side as well. And I do that a little bit, but I tend to niche down into the techie, the geeky stuff, which I love. And I assume if you listen to this podcast, you like that stuff too. But as filmmakers, that's one thing I've always said, you gotta be right and left brain. You gotta be technically minded, but you also need to be creative. And so the creative part, the actual making of films or making the video part is equally important. And I really like that stuff too. So I'm gonna incorporate that as well. Now, an almost professional movie review. Last thing is I always try to watch movies in my spare time, usually at night after my kids are in bed, <laughs> after I watch YouTube. And I've seen a couple ones recently that I had high hopes for and they weren't as good as I had hoped, but they were both pretty good, especially one of them. The first one is the Sopranos movie. Have you seen that one? The Many Saints of New York. I'm probably getting that title wrong. I love The Sopranos. I was a Sopranos addict. I, I just so enjoyed that show. Hadn't watched it in obviously, what, 15 years. Checked out the movie. The movie was very good, very well done. It didn't grab me at first, and I thought it was going to be a Tony Soprano prequel, and it is, but if you've seen the movie, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but it's really not about Tony. It's about Tony's surroundings. And so that kind of surprised me, but it was still really enjoyable, really well done. It wasn't quite as sarcastic or funny as the original Sopranos. Didn't have as much dark comedy, had some. And then it took me a little while to get into the characters because I couldn't remember who they were at first. <laughs> but I do recommend checking that one out. I watched it on HBO Max. And then the other one I watched that I had high hopes for, and it fell a little bit flat for me, but it was still semi-enjoyable, and that was Cry Macho. I actually watched it last night, the new Clint Eastwood movie. I absolutely love Clint Eastwood movies. In particular, his old work, you know, from the Spaghetti Westerns and all the 1970s Dirty Harry stuff and all the different Westerns he's done himself as a director and as an actor. I love Unforgiven. 
and Outlaw Josie Wales and those movies. But it's amazing. He's 91 years old and he's still doing that. He's still acting and directing. I mean, you talk about a life that's worth, you know, emulating. That's maybe not the right word, but just the idea that you continue to create this great body of work that far into your life. I mean, a lot of filmmakers sort of phase out, kind of like musicians do in their 50s or 60s. Not him. Not him at all. Not, obviously, that's not always true. A lot of Hollywood directors are on the older side. They're probably like Spielberg in the 60s. Scorsese, I think, is 70, 72, 73, maybe 75. I forget. So some of these guys do continue on and do well, but a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't. And so, but in particular, being 91 years old, it's funny because I often say as a filmmaker, I never want to retire. I just want to keep making films. And then, you know, one day you'll either just die on set or die writing your final screenplay or making your final YouTube video, whatever it is. But you don't really ever have to retire like you do from a real job, so to speak, because you're not going to the office every day anyway. So, yeah, I, I really like Clint Eastwood movies. Cry Macho was entertaining, but it wasn't his best. It was not his best. I like what he did. His performance was very good. And I like the kid actor in it. He goes down to Mexico. He's hired to go down to Mexico to retrieve this kid. But it felt a little bit too, it was PG-13, and it felt a little bit too PG-13 for me. A little bit Hallmark movie-ish, if that's a way to describe it. But again, I, I somewhat enjoyed it. And it's on HBO Max, which I pay for, and I always try to feel like I want to get my money's worth out of those. So Anyway, just something a little different there, throwing out some movie reviews. I want to, again, kind of add a few little elements to this podcast that I haven't included before. And ultimately... With the new iPhone Pro Max, you can go shoot your own movie. You can become your own Clint Eastwood. And that is one of the best things about the accessibility and the democratization of all these awesome filmmaking tools we have at our disposal today. Well, thanks for listening, guys. This has been another episode of Almost Professional. I'm your host, Blake Calhoun, and I look forward to talking to you in the next episode.